Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and information about improving the health and well-being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory or even the quality of a senior's health care. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. In today's episode, we are going to talk about medications used to treat difficult behaviors that are common in Alzheimer's and other dementias. For the most part, these are not the medications that are FDA-approved for the treatment of the cognitive symptoms of dementia, and those medications I covered in depth in episode 26. So if you want to know more about medications like Dinepazil, brand named Aricept, or Memantine, brand named Amenda, then you should definitely listen to episode 26. Instead, in this episode, we're going to cover medications prescribed for what is sometimes called neuropsychiatric symptoms of dementia. So these are the difficult behaviors They include problems such as the person getting agitated or revved up. Sometimes people can become aggressive or combative, and sometimes they'll hit people or shout at them. Neuropsychiatric symptoms also include problems like having delusions or hallucinations or paranoid beliefs or beliefs that strike other people as irrational. And then it also includes problems like pacing around restlessly or wandering. These kinds of behavior problems are unfortunately extremely common in dementia, and they tend to be really difficult and stressful for families to cope with. So it's quite common for families to ask their doctors, isn't there a medication that can help with this paranoia or agitation or aggressiveness? Those are the ones that especially tend to prompt families to look for help. The short answer to this question is, it's not yes, definitely, it's actually maybe, And a more accurate, slightly longer answer to the question would be, well, there may be medications that can help, but there will be side effects. There'll be significant risks to consider. And we first need to attempt non-drug ways to manage these behaviors. So that's the ideal response. But unfortunately, most families don't get that response. And they're not usually offered this longer, better answer. Instead, it's quite common for older adults to be inappropriately or prematurely medicated for difficult behaviors. And that's in part because many clinicians lack either the time or the training or both to more optimally evaluate and manage these difficult behaviors when they come up in Alzheimer's or other dementias. This is actually a major health quality issue for older adults. And And a big problem is that these medications that are used to manage difficult behaviors are, in fact, quite risky. I'm going to go into the risks and common side effects later in this episode. So uh, families may not realize that they're actually putting the older person at a certain risk for problems like falls or acceleration of cognitive decline or even an increased risk of death that's been documented for certain types of these medications, and I'll go into detail soon. And then these medications can also diminish short-term quality of life with problems like making people uh, unsteady on their feet or diminishing their thinking further. So there is often 
a role for these medications, but they really should be used very carefully, very judiciously uh, as a last resort at the lowest doses possible. And that unfortunately often does not happen. So my goal in this episode is to equip you to work better with the clinicians and others if you're facing a situation with difficult behaviors and dementia, or if you know someone who might be struggling with this, because lots of families struggle with this. And in this episode, here's what we're going to cover. I'm going to start by telling you about the five common types of medication that are used to treat difficult behaviors in dementia. Uh, Generally, these medications are not FDA approved for this purpose, but it's certainly very common to prescribe medications off-label for this purpose. And so we'll go into that in depth, the five types of medications that are most often used. And for each type, I'll cover the usual effects on older people with dementia, the most common side effects, and the most important safety risks that you should be aware of. And then in the second part of the episode, I'm going to explain how geriatricians such as myself usually help families with difficult dementia behaviors, including the process that I use before starting medication and which medications I tend to try first. And then In the last part of the episode, I'll close with some specific suggestions on what you can do if you're caring for someone with dementia and wondering what to do about medications for difficult behaviors or how you might handle difficult behaviors. Let me start by reviewing those five types of medications that are often used for difficult behaviors in dementia. Most medications fall into one of these categories, and the first category is the category of antipsychotics. So these are medications that were originally developed to treat schizophrenia and other illnesses that feature psychosis symptoms. And again, psychosis symptoms include things like delusions, paranoid beliefs, and either visual or auditory hallucinations. The most commonly used drugs in this class um, that are often used in older adults include risperidone, brand name Risperdal, catiapine, that's with a Q, and the brand name is Seroquel, Olanzapine, brand name Zyprexa, Hadalperidol, brand name Haldol, and then are several other antipsychotics that are used less commonly. And if you want to learn about them, in the show notes, I have a companion article for this episode. And in that article, there's a link to an NIH page where you can see a list of longer antipsychotics if you want to check and see if one of the medications your relative is taking is on it. So how do antipsychotics work? So they affect brain chemistry. Most of them reduce, um, interfere with dopamine in the brain. And the main effect that older people with dementia will experience is going to be sedation. And so these drugs do often calm down agitation or aggression through these sedating effects. Now, antipsychotics can also reduce true psychosis symptoms, which can be brought on by too much uh, dopamine in the brain. So they can be helpful with delusions, hallucinations, or paranoid beliefs, but it's rare for them to completely correct these problems in dementia. Also, since many people with dementia and difficult behaviors are being treated more for agitation and being revved up rather than for true delusions, I think in many cases the effect is probably more due to the overall sedating effect than it is to diminishing actual hallucinations, but it depends a bit on the person. What are the risks of these medications? The risks have actually been studied quite a lot and well-documented, and there is now a black box warning uh, 
on these drugs, cautioning people about the use of them in dementia. And again, they are not FDA approved for this purpose. The risks tend to go up related to how high the dose is, and they include a decreased cognitive function and possible acceleration of cognitive decline, increased risk of falls, increased risk of stroke and death, which has been estimated as an increased absolute risk of 1% to 4%. And then there's a risk of side effects known as extrapyramidal symptoms. That's a big long word, but it basically includes stiffness and tremors similar to Parkinson's disease. And, you know, Parkinson's is caused in part by a, um, a problem with dopamine in the brain. So when these medications are used, especially at higher doses, some older people start to develop Parkinsonism which usually but not always goes away when the medication is reduced or stopped. And because antipsychotics interfere with dopamine and dopamine is such an issue for people with Parkinson's or Lewy body dementia, which is related to Parkinson's, people who have those forms of dementia or those problems can be especially sensitive to the side effects of antipsychotics. And so in those people, catiapine, brand name Seroquel, is considered to be the safest choice because it has the least interference with dopamine in the brain. So those are the effects and risks. And so now the question that you may be wondering is, have clinical research trials shown these drugs to be effective in treating the behavioral problems of dementia? This has been studied in high-quality research, and what the trials find is that they often find that there seems to be a small improvement in symptoms, but it's offset by frequent side effects. And it's also problematic that using antipsychotics in older adults has been associated with a higher risk of stroke and death. So generally, it's not recommended unless it's a last choice and the benefits and burdens have been carefully considered. Let me now move on to the next category of medication that is quite commonly prescribed to treat difficult behaviors in dementia, and that is the category of benzodiazepines. The most commonly used drugs in older adults include lorazepam, brand name Ativan, temazepam, brand name Restoril, diazepam, brand name Valium, and alprazolam, brand name Xanax. This is a category of medication that relaxes people fairly quickly and are used for bad anxiety. They are also used to treat panic attacks and to sedate people or to treat insomnia because they cause people to feel relaxed. Benzodiazepines are problematic for many reasons. A key one is that one, they can easily become habit-forming more so than the antipsychotics and some of the other medications. And the other problem is that they also create a, a dependence in the body, which uh, one, leaves people uncomfortable if the medication is uh, stopped or reduced, and also if people take more than a small dose of these medications regularly. The withdrawal uh, from the medications can actually be life-threatening and can be similar to a very bad alcohol withdrawal. So you never want to stop these medications uh, suddenly, and reducing them has to be done under clinical supervision. So what are the effects of benzodiazepines? In the brain, these medications act similarly to alcohol. They usually cause sedation, relaxation, and sometimes a pleasant buzz feeling. They vary in how long they last in the body. So something like alprazolam, brand name Xanax, is quite short-acting, whereas something like diazepam, brand name Valium, is quite long-acting. And so the risks. As I mentioned, a major risk is that in people of any age, 
They can easily cause physical and or psychological dependence. Additional risks that get worse in older adults include an increased risk of falls. This has been found in research. A paradoxical agitation where although younger people will feel sedated and relaxed, some older adults actually get disinhibited and actually become more inappropriate or revved up or even delirious when they are given benzodiazepines. In most, uh, many older people, especially with dementia, benzodiazepines tends to make them a little bit more confused. This is sort of slowing the function of the brain. And so this keeps people from being able to do their best thinking. And then some research has associated benzodiazepine use with acceleration of cognitive decline. An additional problem that I've noticed just in my practice is that in older adults who take benzodiazepines regularly, although on one hand it dampens brain function and so can make confusion worse, on the other hand, because when we lower the medication, people tend to become more anxious, especially if they have a high-strung or nervous temperament to begin with, I have often seen older adults develop worse dementia symptoms when the drug is reduced because they get more anxious and then that makes their thinking worse in of itself. So in short, these are medications that do sedate and relax people but have lots of side effects and risks in older adults. Now, do they work? A recent review of clinical research concluded that there is limited evidence for clinical efficacy. And although these drugs do have a noticeable sedating effect when they're used, it's not clear that they overall improve agitation and difficult behaviors in most people. And it's also not clear that they work better than antipsychotics for longer-term management of behavior problems. So in general, in geriatrics, we use medications such as these, which are sometimes referred to as chemical restraints. We use them as a last resort, but if we have to use them, most of the time we would err on the side of using an antipsychotic rather than a benzodiazepine, whether for short term or for um, a little bit longer. So those two antipsychotics and benzodiazepines are the ones that I see prescribed the most to older people with Alzheimer's or another dementia to manage behavior problems. But there are a few other categories of medication that are used for this purpose. And so let me tell you about those. A third category is mood stabilizers. These are medications that are otherwise used for seizures. So they kind of calm down brain activity. And they generally, they um, depending on the medication, they work slightly differently in the brain. But the overall purpose is to reduce the quote-unquote, excitability of brain cells. Uh, by far the most commonly used drug for this purpose in older people with dementia is valproic acid. The brand name is Depakote, and it's available in short and long-acting formulations. The usual effect depends on the dose and the person, but it's generally kind of sedating, um, especially if it's at more than a very minimal dose. Now, what about risk for this medication? This is a medication that actually requires periodic monitoring of blood levels because you're supposed to sort of not go over a certain level in the blood that can cause problems. But even when the blood level is considered within an appropriate range, side effects in older adults are common. They include confusion or worsened thinking, dizziness, difficulty walking or balancing, tremor or development of other Parkinson-like symptoms, some older adults will experience gastrointestinal symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. Now, does it work? This medication has been studied in people with dementia, and a review of randomized trials of valproate for agitation in dementia found no evidence for clinical efficacy. 
and also described the rate of side effects as unacceptable. Despite this, my personal experience has been that uh, several geriatric psychiatrists and some other clinicians who focus on people with dementia, several of them feel that this really works for some individuals. A fourth category of medication that can help with difficult uh, behaviors is antidepressants. Now, these are commonly prescribed to older adults, whether or not they have dementia. They're used a little bit less for difficult behaviors, the main reason being that antidepressants take four to eight weeks to kick in, and usually people want an effect sooner, and antipsychotics and benzodiazepines will have an effect quite quickly. It's still important to be aware of antidepressants because, first of all, many of them have anti-anxiety benefits. So the most widely used category of antidepressants is selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which means uh, medications such as citalopram, brand name Celexa, or sertraline, brand name Zoloft, Prozac, and Paxil are also in this category, although in geriatrics we use them a lot less because they have more side effects or drug interactions than Celexa and Zoloft. So these are medications that actually uh, have been shown to have anti-anxiety effects. They just don't work quickly and intensely. And it's also not clear that they work very, very well in people with dementia. There's also another antidepressant called mirtazapine, brand name Remeron, which can increase appetite and sometimes makes people sleepier if it's given at bedtime. So that's sometimes used for people who are a little uh, revved up or having trouble getting to sleep. And then there is an antidepressant called trazodone, brand name Desirel, which is a weak antidepressant, which is sedating and can be used at bedtime to improve sleep. So the effects. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, so the drugs like Celexa and Zoloft, can help some people, but again, it takes weeks or longer to see an effect. And the effect also probably tends to be a little bit small. On the flip side, these medications have fewer risks and side effects than the antipsychotics and benzodiazepines and mood stabilizers that I mentioned before. They tend to be well-tolerated, especially if they're started at um, low doses. Now, people do experience some uh, side effects. Some people have nausea or upset stomach. Uh, in some people, depending on the medication, an antidepressant can actually be a bit activating, which can worsen agitation or insomnia. And there has also been documented a possible increase in the risk of falls, especially with the more sedating antidepressants. So in terms of evidence of clinical efficacy, there was a 2014 randomized trial which found that citalopram provided a modest improvement in neuropsychiatric symptoms. So again, citalopram is Celexa. Other than that uh, study of citalopram, clinical studies generally find that antidepressants are not very effective at reducing agitation. And then the last category to keep in mind for treating agitation and difficult behaviors are the drugs that are FDA-approved for the treatment of dementia. So in other words, the cholinesterase inhibitors, such as donepezil, brand-named Aricept, and also mimantine. So in some patients, they do seem to help with certain neuropsychiatric symptoms. And as I mentioned in episode 26, they're generally well-tolerated and don't have substantial side effects. So that's something to consider as well. 
So now that I've covered those five categories, what are the take-homes and what does it mean in terms of how a geriatrician such as myself would help a family with difficult dementia behaviors? Here are the key points that I usually share with families. So number one, if you're concerned about difficult behaviors in dementia, before resorting to medication, it's essential to go through a process of trying to identify any triggers or factors that might be causing or worsening the behavior. And it's important to try non-drug approaches. Often we find that uh, there are some triggers that are provoking the person. And so if those can be modified or adapted, that can help. And then there are non-drug approaches that just generally seem to improve the resilience and well-being of people with dementia. And these have been shown to be related to less difficult behaviors or agitation. A major one is exercise. Another uh, factor to consider is untreated pain or constipation. These are easily overlooked in people with dementia. So sometimes before resorting to a chemical restraint or medication to try to treat the agitation, we might try scheduling some over-the-counter Tylenol two to three times a day. That's generally the safest mild painkiller for older people. And we do find that sometimes people with dementia become less irritable. And so it seems they had a little mild pain that was making them irritable that has gotten better. Uh, We also titrate laxatives to aim for a soft bowel movement every one to two days. So always before you turn to medication specifically for the difficult behaviors, try to look for causes and triggers and try to treat those and then try to improve the person's well-being with exercise, routine, and rest at night if possible. The next thing I tell people is I emphasize that no type of medication is FDA approved for the treatment of difficult behaviors and dementia, and no type of medication has been clinically shown to improve behavior for most people with dementia. So if you try medication for this purpose, you should be prepared to do some trial and error, and it's important to carefully monitor how well the medication is working and what side effects may be happening, because you only want to continue with medication if you have reason to believe that it's doing more good than harm or risk. I also tell people that antipsychotics and benzodiazepines are the medications that work quickly and tend to generate a noticeable effect quickly, but most of the time they'll be working through sedation and chemical restraint, and they do tend to cloud thinking further, and they do tend to increase fall risk. So it's important to use these carefully, after you've tried other things, and to use the lowest possible dose of these medications. Since benzodiazepines probably increase fall risk more than antipsychotics and are habit-forming and may accelerate cognitive decline, and they're also less likely to help with hallucinations, delusions, and paranoias, if we have to use one of these faster-acting medications for behaviors, I generally tend to try antipsychotics before I try benzodiazepines. But again, I use them as a last resort. And then I do bring up that antidepressants might help. Some people with dementia have underlying depression or anxiety and may benefit from one of these selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors that can treat that. So I often do try a medication like citalopram and say, why don't we give it a try for a few months? And while you're still trying to improve the person's uh, environment and how you respond to the agitation, that's very important also. And why don't we give that a try and see if it helps. 
And then lastly, if the person's not already taking a dementia drug, such as a cholinesterase inhibitor like denepazil, brand name Aricept, or Mimantine, brand name Namenda, if they're not already on these medications, then it might be worth giving it a try to see if the difficult behaviors improve. But in most cases, people have been on those medications for a while. Now, there are other behavior management strategies that can be used. It works best if the family caregiver gets some training and coaching. You can basically uh, sort of try to, to redirect the person, try to not escalate, learn to not escalate agitated behavior, and instead learn to, to de-escalate it. And these techniques have been shown to be helpful. The challenge is that mostly that often family caregivers have limited time and energy to learn them. And it may so it's often also not necessarily easy to find somebody to teach you in those techniques. I think if you're living with someone with dementia, it's worth learning more about these approaches. Uh, but it's true that if you're desperate for relief or calm in your house, that's part of what drives people to medications is they want something that's going to work now. Now, what can you do? If you have an older parent or spouse or relative who has dementia and you're concerned about difficult or challenging behaviors. So if your relative is not yet taking medications for behaviors, then here are my suggestions. One, start keeping a journal and learn to identify triggers of difficult behaviors. So you'll need to observe the person carefully. These notes will come in handy later if you start medications because this is going to help you monitor to see if the medication is helping and it might help you also track any side effects. Number two, do consider investing a little time and effort in learning to redirect and de-escalate difficult dementia behaviors. Your local Alzheimer's Association chapter is a great place to start and there are also some uh, resources that can be found online. Number three, Ask your doctor to help you assess for untreated pain or constipation. Consider a trial of scheduled mild painkillers such as acetaminophen, brand name Tylenol, to see if it helps, and then consider starting or increasing laxatives to go for a soft bowel movement every one to two days and see if that helps reduce irritability and reactiveness. Also consider the possibility of depression and consider a trial of citalopram, brand name Celexa, or escitalopram, which is related, the brand name there is Lexapro, to see if that helps. But realize that any effect will take weeks or longer to appear, so you'd have to be patient with that approach. Now, if the person is often very agitated, very paranoid, or if the behavioral symptoms are causing significant distress to the older person or caregiver, or if the behavioral problems are causing serious safety risks, somebody who's aggressive and hitting, then in those cases, it's often reasonable to try an antipsychotic. Before starting it, I recommend you discuss the increased risk of stroke and death with the doctor and among family members. It can be a reasonable risk to accept, but you want to be informed before proceeding. You also want to ask to start at the lowest dose possible. And if there have been any visual hallucinations or other signs related that could indicate possible Lewy body dementia or Parkinsonism, then catiapine, brand name Seroquel, is usually the safest first choice for an antipsychotic. And then for any medications you might start for dementia behaviors, you'll want to monitor carefully for evidence of improvement and for signs of side effects. You should increase doses only a little at a time, and especially when it comes to antipsychotics or benzodiazepines if you go that route. But I, I wouldn't do that unless it's somebody who's already been on them for a long time or really has a history of an extremely nervous temperament. 
especially for antipsychotics, uh, the goal is to find the minimum necessary dose to keep the behavior manageable, minimum necessary dose. So that's what I would recommend if your relative uh, with dementia is not yet taking medications for difficult behaviors. Now, if you have a family member with dementia who is taking some of these medications for behaviors, then I would just encourage you to consider at least the following two issues. One is, so they're taking this medication, are the behavior issues currently manageable or not? If the behaviors are still often very difficult, then it's important to, again, look into triggers and see if you can modify them and also learn uh, behavior management techniques that can help you redirect or de-escalate the situation. Also consider trying to increase exercise and exposure to sunlight and fresh air since that seems to help. And ongoing agitation or difficult behavior may be a sign that the medication is not working for your relative. So it may be reasonable to consider a change to a different type. Different people respond to different drugs in different ways. The best would be to work closely with a doctor and also a dementia behavior expert and some social workers or geriatric care managers are quite good with dementia behaviors. Otherwise, the other issue to consider if uh, you have a relative with dementia who's taking some of these medications for behaviors is you should definitely make sure that you and your family are aware of risk or side effects and make an active decision to continue to accept those risks and continue with the medication. The main side effects that I see people with dementia experience are excessive drowsiness, excessive confusion, and falls. And these are usually due to high doses of antipsychotic or benzodiazepines. And in many cases, it's possible to reduce the doses somewhat and help the person be a little bit more alert. You also want to identify any anticholinergic medication or other brain dampening medication if they're being given. Anticholinergics, for instance, might be given for overactive bladder or they're actually sort of scattered in lots of different medications people take. And I'll share a list of commonly uh, used anticholinergic medications in the show notes if you want to learn more about those. Now, should you aim to get your relative completely off antipsychotics, say, to reduce mortality risk and improve alertness and thinking and to reduce fall risk? It is sometimes possible to entirely taper people off, but it can be labor-intensive. And furthermore, studies find that a fair amount of people with dementia relapse into worse behaviors after antipsychotics have been discontinued. There was also another very interesting study published in 2016. Nursing homes were randomized to different protocols for reviewing the use of antipsychotic medication and tapering it off, and also sometimes adding a social intervention. And what they found was that often people with dementia got worse when they saw the antipsychotics, unless the nursing home also implemented these social and exercise interventions. So again, I think this emphasizes that non-drug methods are effective, but they also require time, effort, and training, and that often it may not be feasible for the staff in a facility or for family members in a house to, to implement those additional interventions that can kind of otherwise help keep behavior manageable. So in short, I think it's always worth considering tapering or stopping antipsychotic medication, but you should know that it's often not easy and does come with a risk of relapse. So sometimes just aiming to use the lowest possible doses may be a more reasonable goal. So in closing, I'll just say that there are usually no easy solutions when it comes to difficult behaviors in Alzheimer's or other dementias. 
Medications are often part of the solution and approach, but many, probably too many people, are being medicated or overly medicated for these behavior problems. So if your family is struggling with these issues, I know that that this information, having more information about the risks and side effects is not necessarily going to, to solve them, but I hope that you'll be able to make more informed and thoughtful decisions. And again, if you have the time and energy, I highly recommend that you learn about non-drug methods to manage dementia behaviors, and we can perhaps do a podcast episode in the future that focuses just on those. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and a review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show on iTunes, and I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.